we got to record it. All right, so just so you guys know, in case you missed what we've done with First John, we actually have a recording of all the lessons we've done on the Internet. And so I've been sending out links. If uh, your, your parents have their email with us, I send that link out. But if you want to be able to uh, hear something that you missed, or uh, check something out, or get your friend to listen to something because you're like, oh, you got to listen to this. You know, this is what God's Word says about this. It's on iTunes, and so you can get on there. Uh, if you're not part of our Facebook group, let me know. If you're on Facebook and you're not part of the Overflow Junior High Facebook group, we can get you in there, and we send a link out that way also. So make sure you let me know. Email me, text me, uh, talk to me about it, and we'll get you on that list so that you can be part of that uh, that group and be able to hear these lessons even if you're you're not here. So uh, that's pretty cool. I love, uh, Andrew asked if we could read those first two chapters. We just finished the first two chapters of 1 John. And so sometimes I tell you, hey, uh, you need to read this book. You know, we're studying it all the way through May, through the first part of June. And you need to get yourself familiar with 1 John. Well, we just read almost half of the book. And it's really not that difficult, obviously. Uh, so if you get into the Word, read 1 John. Read it over and over and over again so that it just sticks to your heart and so that God can teach you and continue to work through the power of the Word. You know, we were talking, uh, Andrew and, and Jared and I were talking over lunch the other day. We said, you know, there's a lot of gimmicks you can use when you're speaking. There's a lot of things you can use on stage to get people's attention and to impress people. There was a guy at the men's conference who, who had a leaf blower and he had toilet paper on the end of it for some reason and shot toilet paper across the room from the leaf blower. And it was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But you know what? I don't remember what in the world he was talking about. I have no idea why toilet paper shot across the room. I wish I could remember that, but all I remember was like <laughs> toilet paper shooting 50 feet. Pretty cool. But I don't remember what he was talking about. So what we said, well, the important part of when you're up here talking and when you're studying the Word of God, is the Word of God. It's not gimmicks. It's not like me doing jumping jacks or some magic trick that makes me spit milk out of my eyeball, which I've seen that before too. Really weird stuff. I've seen milk shoot out of somebody's eyeball. But you know what? That's not what's powerful. What's powerful is God's Word. God's Word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the heart of people when they hear it. Way better than any stupid gimmick that's out there. So it's important for you to read God's Word. To have that power. Quit messing with my sound, please, guys. I'm going to kick you out of the sound booth. Put it back the way it was. I see you giggling back there. That's my, my fault for letting three eighth grade guys in the sound booth together. Uh, yeah, could you keep your eye on them, please? Thanks. Uh, so anyway... We're starting in 1 John 3, but we do have a couple verses to finish up in 2 that, uh, that are important that kind of tie into chapter 3 as well. So uh, let's look at chapter 2, verse 28, first of all. Um, it's important for us to get that down before we move on to chapter 3. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting verse that's, that's given here in 1 John 2, 28. Let me find it here and we'll, we'll get it. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That's an interesting verse. We could spend the whole morning on that and really freak out. Because he is talking to believers here. He's saying, and now little children, remember this is an older guy speaking, an older pastor speaking to younger people, just like an older guy, me, speaking to younger people, you. And he's saying little children is his term he uses, but they're people who are Christians. And so it's important for us to understand that these are Christians that he's talking about. And what does he say? Abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at His coming. There's a, go ahead and turn my monitors all the way off. Uh, turn the monitors all the way off for me. I get this feedback and I don't like to hear myself talk too much. Uh, there is a concept in Scripture and it's a... Yeah, the, yeah Andrew, can you get that? Yeah, there we go. That's better. That's better. Man, we got problems. Problems in the sound booth. All right, so it's important for us to get this. What do you think he means by shrink in shame at his coming? Anybody have any idea? You're like, well, Tim, aren't I forgiven? If I trust Christ, aren't I a Christian? Aren't I going to heaven? Yes. But there's a time when Jesus Christ comes and there's judgment. For you stand before God Himself, Jesus, and you stand before Him and you answer for what you've done here on this earth. You stand before Him and you can either shrink in shame or, or have Him say, well done good and faithful servant. I don't know what that's going to look like. I can picture it in my mind, this huge throne, and us standing one by one, if you can imagine, you know, movies that have a big throne, and you're coming before the throne, and if the king accepts you, he puts out his scepter. If he doesn't accept you and put out his scepter, you're dead. There's important concepts that are given here for us to get. Because the reality is, in God's Word, He says it very clearly, that even the Christians are going to be judged according to what they've done. It doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that you're not going to spend eternity with God. But it does mean there's opportunity for shame or for rejoicing. Shame because you've done nothing with God's Word. Shame because you didn't stand up for what you believe in. Shame because you were embarrassed by the idea of being a Christian, which might even make you wonder if you are one to begin with. Shame in how you lived your life. Shame in how you've spent all your time on things that are worthless. Or rejoicing. Rejoicing over the fact that you gave your life for Christ. You gave each day to Christ. You spoke out for God. You encouraged others to read His Word. You kept others accountable. 
You prayed. You read His Word. Rejoicing in what you've done and what God's done for you. So that's an interesting concept to think about and one maybe you can discuss further in your small groups. Then we get into chapter 2, verse 29, and he says, if you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. There's an interesting picture I got uh, recently when I was in New York City. You can see this is a massive dog. It's a great Dane. It's a friend of mine who uh, is a firefighter in Brooklyn. And this is his dog, Nyla. And so when we got there, he had Nyla get, put her paws up on his shoulders, and Nyla was taller than him. So I was like, I want to do this. I want to see how tall Nyla is. And you can see, if Nyla poked her head straight up, she'd be almost equal to me, which is about six feet tall. Now if I said to you, really powerfully and, and with lots of energy, this dog is human. I mean, look at it. It's like six feet tall, right? It's a person. It's bigger than a lot of people. The dog, the kitchen counter, the dog can sit its head on the kitchen counter, no problem, on all fours. It's bigger than half of you in this room. Easy. Probably three quarters of you. But if I said to you, this dog is a human being, this dog is a person, and I said it with all my might, and I said it with passion, and I tried to convince you that this dog was human, what would you say? No, what else? It's a dog. Uh, you're crazy, maybe. What's wrong with you? You've been taking some wrong medication. Other things like that, right? So I could try my best to convince you this is a human being. Or that dog, I like the other part. Maybe Nyla could try her best to convince you that I'm a dog. How's that? that flip it around a little bit. So she could try to convince you that I'm a dog. I could try to convince you that she's a person. But here's the reality. Nyla barks. Nyla didn't talk to me. Nyla slobbers all over the place. Nyla runs outside. Now this is maybe just like a human being, like you, run outside, track mud in the house. Nyla goes to the bathroom outside. Okay? Some of you, maybe that's like you too. And you're like, you're describing me. Hopefully that's not the case. But Nyla does not act like a person. So here's the reality. In, in verse 29, he's saying, look, you will be known by who you are but you will be known most by who you act like. And if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, guess what? You're going to look and you're going to act like a child of God. Looking like a child of God really doesn't mean much. But acting like a child of God means everything. So the question I guess we need to ask ourselves is, in the world's eyes, do I look like a Christian? And you could probably say, check, I look like a Christian, right? I mean, that stereotypical thing where a Christian is all nice and dressed modestly and you know, isn't too crazy looking, right? But the question I guess you really need to ask yourself is, do my actions 
say that I'm a Christian? Do what, is what I do label me as a Christian, not what I look like? So let's get into chapter 3. First thing about chapter 3, we get into verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, let's see, I think we got it up there. I think so, yes. Oh, no. We should have it up there. Uh, so it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We have this amazing love in our lives. You know that God gave His only Son for you. Does everybody get that? God gave His Son the Holy Son of God on the cross for you. This massive, immense, crazy love that God has blessed us with. He says that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's interesting when we think about that, the reason why the world doesn't know us and why we do things. You ever have anybody ask you, like, why do you do that? Why is it that you take Good Friday and come up here at 10 o'clock in the morning and have communion and prayer? Why are you going to give a week or two of your summer to lead Bible clubs? Why do you do those things? The world can't quite understand and can't quite grasp why it is that you would give of your time. Why it is that you would read the Bible every day. Why do you pray? And you might get those questions because the world really doesn't know us and why we do things because they don't know Jesus. But the reality is, not only do they not know you, but they don't know God, and that's why they don't know you. If they knew God, then they would understand why it is that you act a certain way. If they knew Christ, then they would understand who you are and what makes you tick. But the reality is, if they don't know God, and in verse 1 it says in chapter 3, if they didn't know God first, then they're really not going to understand you. And you know what's cool about that? It makes you different. Everyone look up here. I hope that you don't want to be the same as other people. This world and this society and even school sometimes kind of puts you into this, this box. And it wants you to put you in this box and have you be this certain way. And it's really odd to me sometimes and I really wish it could be different. Because you should be able to be an individual, not just to be stupid and weird and, and funny looking just to draw attention to yourself, but you should be able to be an individual to act however God is leading you to act and not to be forced into some people-pleasing person that most people are. If you watch your parents, which some of you don't watch your parents, you're like, I, I have no idea what my parents do. And I really don't want to know. But some of you are observant, and some of you as you get older will be more observant of your parents. And some of you will see that some of your parents live to please other people. They live so that other people can see what they do and approve of it. Check. Good person, check. 
dresses nice, check. Got her hair done, check. All these things that are all surface level stuff. And some of you have fallen into that as well. Where you're pleasing yourself and you're pleasing others and you're in this mode, the reality is this. God has come and He sent His Son to free you from that. He sent His Son to make you unique and different and a little crazy maybe because of what God is doing in you. So many people would consider the disciples nuts. Crazy. Leaving their occupations, what they did their whole lives, to follow Jesus around. This son of God who claimed this guy who claimed to be the son of God, walking around doing miracles, walking around telling them, you know, just leave everything and follow me. They were considered crazy. Yet we, for some reason, in, in Christian circles, consider ourselves that we need to work our best and try our best to fit in to what the world says. And the reality is this what does that make you? That makes you just like everybody else. That makes you not an individual. That just makes you part of a group that really doesn't stand out. And God is calling you to a life that stands out. God is calling you to something different. And in this verse, He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So sometimes the world is going to need to look at you and say, I don't really know what made you do that. I don't understand why you did that, but it's crazy and it's kind of cool too because you actually stand up for something. You actually make a difference. You actually give of your time for others. You actually consider others more important than yourselves. One way to not be known by the world because everyone else, mostly everyone else, is doing things for themselves. To please themselves, to make themselves look good, to puff themselves up, look at me, and the reality is this, God calls us to something different. To consider others more important than ourselves, Philippians chapter 2. It's powerful. So we have this massive love that God's given us. And number two, we have real change, verse 2. Verse 2, I think we're up here. Look on the uh, slides. I think we're a little bit behind on the slides there. There we go. Massive love, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at that. Look at those verses. If you can't grasp that this love is amazing and massive by reading this, then you might be blind or you might be half asleep. Look at that. Neither death, or life, angels, rulers, powers, things present, things to come, height and depth, nothing can separate you from this massive love that God has given to you. Nothing, not even death, not even life, can separate you from this massive love. And then when we think about real change in verse 2, although we are like Christ through His work on the cross, we will not be changed completely until we see Him face to face. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Let's uh, check that out there. You guys uh, got it there? 
There we go. Let's look here. Real change. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Look at that top verse there. We see very dimly. Anybody have any idea what that means, that top verse, that we see very dimly? What does that mean? Anybody have any idea? Anybody? Think. Yes, sir. Perfect. Exactly. We can't see everything that God is doing. We can't see why God let certain things happen. Some of you in this room have had horrible things happen to you. Some of you have had divorce in your family. Some of you have had abuse in your family. Some of you had death of a loved one, sickness in a family member. Lots of things that you can't understand. Why in the world would God let this happen? And it's like you are seeing, it's like I took my glasses and covered over two-thirds of my glasses. That's what I'm seeing. And the reality is, I can't get the big picture because I don't understand what God's doing. But you know what God's doing? He's working something amazing in your story to fit into His story. But a lot of us, all we see is these little temporal things, these little things that are happening in our lives, and we think, oh, this is horrible. This is bad. But God says, eventually, I'm going to change you into a person that is fully like Christ where you actually will even eventually have this glorified body when Christ comes back, which I don't have any idea what in the world that looks like, but it sounds pretty cool. But right now, all you get is a little tiny picture, a little tiny sliver of what God really wants to do and what He will do to you eventually. But all you see is something right now, this little spot. It's like if I had this this corner of this stage, and your life represented this corner of this stage, this tiny little corner. And there were all these things that God wanted to do. The rest of the story of your life goes all the way down to the end of the stage. But all you can see is that. You can't understand exactly what God's doing. All you see is this little dot. But God has so much greater things and so many more amazing things to do through you. But all you can see dimly. But then, look what he says, face to face. Then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So right now, you only know a little. You only know a tiny bit of who God is. But then, when Jesus comes back, when Christ comes to get His people and to set up His kingdom on this earth, The reality is this. You will know Christ like you've never known Him before and your eyes will be open to things that you've never imagined before. And it sounds very mystical and crazy and kind of weird. And you know the cool thing about it? It is. And God has promised that to you. As you continue to trust Him, as you continue to read His Word, know this. God has something amazing in store for you. And you will know Jesus like you've never known Him before. This real change that takes place. 
So it's important for us to get that. He will transform our lowly body. Notice he says lowly body. Ask your parents about what your body is going to become. <laughs> Last week I'm playing basketball in this church league and I go, I go to the baseline and make this shot, which was pretty cool. I was you know, impressed with myself and then I was like, ooh, that felt weird. And I messed my back up. And I could hardly walk straight all week. Talk about a lowly body. As you get older, your body continues to go downhill, unfortunately. All you're like, no way, man, I feel great. Some of you are like, man, I feel horrible already. I can't wait till I become 30 or 40. I'm really going to feel bad. Your body goes downhill. This lowly body that continues to deteriorate will be transformed into this glorified, amazing thing that God intended it for to begin with. And it's a cool thought to have, especially as you get older. Uh, number three, last one, pure hearts. Verse three says, and everyone who thus hopes in himself purifies himself as he is pure. This hope of seeing Christ results in present purification. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some people say, you know, how do I purify myself? It says here that whoever hopes in Christ purifies his heart and purifies himself or herself. What does that mean? I take a shower every day. Is that what he's talking about? Purify yourself. Clean yourself up, right? No, he's saying purifying the inside, the heart, who you really are. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a great answer to the question, how do I purify myself? What does this mean? What is John even talking about here? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Purifying yourself means giving your life over to God, letting Him have what is rightfully His, and abiding in the Word. Notice what it says. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind comes from reading the Word. The Word of God washes your mind clean. The Word of God gets your mind out of the gutter. The Word of God, as you abide in it, changes you, purifies you, cleanses you of sin, and helps you be clean. I think there's two other verses on that. Psalm 139, I think, up there. Yes? No? Is that? <laughs> it's frozen. Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and 2 Timothy 2.22 are awesome verses that I will look up for you since our wonderful PowerPoint's frozen. Psalm 139. Searching. David said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Tell me if there's anything wicked. Show me the sin that's in my life. Teach me your way. You know, the purity that comes from God's Word is amazing. 
as you abide in God's Word, everybody look here. We're about to go to your breakout groups. The purity that comes from God's Word is something that you can't get from anything else. The Holy Spirit teaches you and purifies you. So here's the deal. You know, give me some struggles as a junior higher that you have. What are some struggles in sin that junior high students have? Grades, you struggle with that? Well, that's not really sin, though. I'm, I'm talking about sin. Not, not struggles like uh, grades, but more like sin. Alright, so doing things that you shouldn't do with friends, yeah. Alright, so disobeying your parents, that's a tough one, yep. Alright, yeah, trying to impress people with things that really aren't uh, things that glorify God. Uh, yeah, bullying, things like putting someone else down, making yourself feel good by putting someone else down, bullying them, yes. Yeah, glorifying God with your mouth versus cursing, saying things that dishonor God, yes. Yeah, like uh, clicks and things like that, gossiping, making people feel bad that they're not in your group. Uh, there's a lot of different sins that take place. I could name a few that you may be too embarrassed to name. Boys especially. Purity, the things that you look at with your eyes. The things that you observe, whether it's on the internet, on movies. Girls, the things that you say. The things that you think about. The things that you do with the opposite sex someday when you start dating. Those things are a struggle. Those things are, are things that you will face if you don't already face them shortly. Some of you fifth graders are like, oh, they still have cooties. Yes, hopefully you'll think that for a long, long time. Because I, I, Especially you girls, please just stay away from boys for, for a long time. At least till you're in college. At least. Alright, at least till you're 30. Uh, I have two girls. I don't want them dating till they're 30. So, it's important for us to think about this because purifying ourselves needs to happen every day. Purifying yourselves needs to happen every day. And the theme of this book, does anybody get the theme of this book? It's uh, how many letters? Five letters. It starts with A. Let me hear it. Abide. Abide. You know that I struggled just like you did. I know I'm older now, but when I was in junior high, when I was in 5th or 8th grade, I struggled like crazy, like you guys do, with sin. With talking back to my parents, saying things about them behind their back, yelling at them, arguing with them. I struggled with purity, with looking at the things that I shouldn't look at, saying the things about someone that I shouldn't say, going somewhere that I shouldn't go, dishonoring and disobeying my parents. I struggle with all those things. But here's the deal. Here's what's important. God started changing my heart as I abided in Him more. As I spent more time with Him and started reading His Word more, as I started praying more, those desires started passing away. Those desires to do the things that were not right and were sinful, it didn't mean they weren't there anymore but they started to lose their grip on my heart. They started to lose their grip on my soul. And I was able to see that God could give me victory. So let's pray together and ask God for that. Lord God, I pray that we will abide in You. I pray that we will focus on You. 
and glorify you in all we do, to see that you have given us this massive love and our response is purity. Our response is giving our lives to you as a living sacrifice, pure and holy before you. Bless our time in our groups today. In your name we pray. Amen.